Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And today I'm very excited to have as our guest, Serena Giordano. She is a consent educator and empowerment coach. She helps guide individuals and communities into more love and empowerment through continuing to spread consent culture, which she views as the true love culture. So welcome to the show, Serena. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Glad to have you here, too, especially with this whole Me Too movement that's happening. I really wanted to talk about consent, and I've known you for a few years, and I'm really excited that you've um, kind of made that your specialty, and I I really wanted to dig into that. Um, But let's first start with just kind of a general description. How do you define consent and consent culture? Great. I feel like there are two definitions for consent that are good to clarify. So the first is from the individual perspective, like receiving a suggestion of any kind of relationship with someone else. And that I see as like a full body hell yes or a full body mind spirit hell yes to an interaction that happens that's non-coerced and where both parties are at ease. And, yeah, in the same ability to say yes, clear-minded, so they're not under the influence of anything. So that's the first piece. And the second piece Mm -hmm. is that it's an agreement between two people. So it's agreed upon by both people, and both people feel really good and psyched about what's going on. Is that clear? Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I love how you call it a hell yes, because there's so much that goes on in the realm of date rape or even date coercion, where I think oftentimes people, I don't want to just say it's only men, it's predominantly men, but not always, who who feel like they kind of have to read the signs of women or kind of understand, um, oh, she touched her hair a certain way. That must mean she wants it. Uh, and I know, I know they get a lot of that from the pickup, uh, pickup artist mm-hmm. thing. Um, and there's just such a lack of direct communication about it. So I love the yeah. hell yes concept where you're really looking for 100% happiness from the other person. They're not under the influence. They're not under age. No. They're not, you know, out of the realm of being able to to be really happy about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also, it because it's an agreement, ideally there's a verbal agreement. And I think, do you mind if I speak a little bit to the community I'm in and how I've perceived my community taking in consent? Please do. So I dance primarily in the dance conscious community in the Bay and I because I'm around people who like to dance a lot they prefer to do nonverbal communication which I personally think is actually a very dangerous road I think both nonverbal and verbal awareness are necessary and when it comes to consent I would actually say that there absolutely needs to be a verbal agreement 
And with that, mm-hmm. there needs to be an ask at every step of an escalation of involvement with another person or interaction with another person. Because if not, you never really know, in my experience at least, like I, I've never known truly unless I check in with someone and be like, hey, I would really love to do this with you. How does that feel? And then giving them the option to respond in, a, in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. So do you have a suggestion for how that can happen at the dance events that are supposed to be nonverbal? Do you just kind of whisper it or? Well, that's that the challenge because actually on the majority of dance floors, there's like a no talking policy. So mm-hmm. I've been really <laughs> working with, with the dance communities and especially ecstatic dance on how to really promote more consent culture there. So what that looks like is making signs, having there be education before and after dance or outside of dance affiliated with the dance, talking about it in the dance classes before dance and having people help monitor it during the dance. So I feel with dancers, there also needs to be education around what a nonverbal yes and no look like. And similarly, with all people, for example, anyone who who desires to interact with anyone else in general, not just being sexual with someone. Also, if anyone wants any kind of energy exchange from another person. So. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Thank you. Um, and can you talk about why you call your business Consent as Love? Yeah, yeah, because like you said in my intro, I really do believe that to be consensual with another person and other people and even more expanded with communities and with the planet is to be the most loving. And why I believe that is because you're honoring their choice. You're honoring their choice and their ability to authentically say yes or no to an interaction. And mm-hmm. many times over when I've had relationships with people, I am very persistent about asking most, if not all the time, with any interaction with them, and they it has an impact on them. I see the transformation into, oh, I, I actually have a choice in this. And then that allows them to feel more empowered and feel really good about how they're interacting. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. what I see that as is, is loving and just honoring fully what everyone's authentic choice is and engagement. Right. It makes so much sense, but it just I just wonder, like, why is it so hard? And I think mm-hmm. one of the answers to that question might be that in our culture, we've learned to not talk about sex or talk about what we're going to do sexually or talk about what we're doing sexually when we're in the middle of sex. Talking about it has, is just not part of what we've learned. So how do you teach people to become comfortable talking about it so that both parties know that the other person is a hell yes? Are you there? Serena? Hi, I'm here. Can you hear Serena? me? Yeah, for so, yeah, for Hello? some reason you um you got for some reason you got put on hold. Yeah. Um so sorry about that. I didn't hear yeah, so did you hear my full question? 
I heard you say, why is it so hard? And that's kind of the... That's all you Why is it so... Yes, yeah. Okay, so I was saying, why is it so hard? And my guess about the answer to that question is that um, in our culture, we haven't learned to talk about sex. We haven't learned to talk about what we might want to do together sexually or what we're in the middle of doing sexually. Um, So how do you teach people to develop more comfort with talking about it so that you can get to that hell yes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's practice. And really, I I feel like for me, it's just embodying it myself and being an example to show other people how Mm -hmm. amazing it is to receive Mm -hmm. that kind of what I'll call love. And I think it's just creating opportunities for people to practice. And I think this is just a much deeper phenomenon of of it can go so deep. So I, I think what you're speaking to is also just how men and women have been conditioned in society or in general. And what I believe to be true is that specifically men are conditioned to not, uh, to not honor or speak their emotions or be vulnerable. And I honestly think that's the root of the problem is mm-hmm. men sharing with men vulnerably about what their day-to-day life is like and especially in relationship with women. So I believe creating more containers for men to share vulnerably with men and support each other will really make a huge impact on that alongside also understanding what our our women conditioning is, which I believe to be givers. I believe women have been conditioned to be givers and that we're not allowed to say what we want because oftentimes and historically women have been if not phys- like if verbally, if not physically, put down or abused when we set boundaries. So it's and moreover, I believe it starts with honoring yourself and not pressuring yourself to do anything for anyone else or be any way to receive love. So I think it starts with both with all people in that way is how am I listening to myself? And am I actually consenting to the interactions that I'm choosing to be a part of or not? Is this my truth? So it's like creating awareness around that concept of am I listening to myself? Am I respecting my own desires? And then building from there because once we have more awareness of ourselves, then we can be more aware of another person. So... Again, it's just like creating workshops for, for all of these discoveries to happen, and that's what I do in my workshops, and that's why I really love leading them is creating a safe space for people to practice and try on these things that we haven't been conditioned by society to feel safe doing or exploring. And I feel like the last piece yeah. of that, too, is, is honoring that it's going to not be perfect that it, it will be messy and like how to create safe space or what I like to call brave space for people to mess up, but also keep the values of consent culture in mind. So it's such an interesting balance. And those are all the things that come to mind to your question. Thank you. I like that brave space. That's beautiful. Um, but I just want to say that I like how you talked about 
um, men in our culture uh, needing to develop their ability to name their emotions, talk about how they're feeling, talk about what they want. Um, But talking about maybe if they want to kiss someone they're on a date with or they want to go to bed with them or whatever they want, to be able to say mm-hmm. that in a way that's that's not attached to the outcome, but just to say Order. it from a place of vulner, vulnerability as a as an invitation, mm-hmm. rather than as I want this right now and you have to give it to me. <laughs> oh. um, that's yeah. that's one piece. But the other piece that I think of um, for the typically female-bodied people or feminine-oriented people. Um, is and I experienced this recently. I was on a first date and had a really nice conversation with the man, and then we were getting ready to go, and he and he kissed me, which was wasn't that surprising for him to want to try to kiss me as he was leaving. But then I said, no, I don't really want to get into anything on our first date. And then he reached around and grabbed my breast, and oh, no. I regret that I didn't. Yeah, I regret that I didn't more firmly say that's not okay, you don't have my consent for that. I I just defaulted to that kind of early programming of like, oh, be a nice girl, don't don't be rude. And I just kind of laughed and said, you know, oh, you're trying to get to second base. I made like a a joke about it. And I just Mm -hmm. felt disappointed in myself. So like you said, it it can be messy while you're practicing. Um, And as I was reading other women's posts with the Me Too hashtag, um, I, I didn't feel so alone, and that's why I can talk about this now because I've heard so many other women talk about how they just went into polite mode or we go into blaming ourselves like maybe I wasn't strong enough in my boundaries or I shouldn't have invited them to come inside or all these ways that we second-guess ourselves. Yeah. Well, I feel like, do you mind if I speak to that? Please, I want you just to respond, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that almost has, like, a victim-blaming aspect to it. Like, oh, well, we should have, like, we as women shouldn't have done anything that would lead them on because men just can't control themselves. And it's like, (laughs) I think that's kind of BS. And I really, like, consent culture to me really is about putting the responsibility back on the person who is doing the harmful action. And it's Mm -hmm. not up to anyone else to monitor them. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's up to themselves. And I get really exhausted and tired of this this, um, dynamic, and especially when men say this to me, any man. (laughs) It really makes me angry because it's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to manage the men. They ideally Mm -hmm. should be managing themselves and anyone, everyone should be managing their own actions. And at the end on, I guess I want to say on the flip side, you know, we're all going to cross each other's boundaries. So that's another, I believe I spoke to that before, like honoring that we're all going to make mistakes and understanding that how to navigate that. And like, I guess my question is, and what I, what I believe is possible with consent culture is how do we create a safer space to make mistakes where less hurt happens? And I believe that with education, with more education around consent and what consent looks like, and also the real dynamics of power and privilege, 
and how they play big roles in our relationships. Moreover, teaching the language of how to ask for something and what you spoke to before, speaking to how not wanting men or that people shouldn't have expectations, that's actually a really key concept of consent is is the idea of high possibility, low expectation, which I actually mm-hmm. first heard through William Winters, and it stuck with me forever. Um, mm-hmm. And just how to be, like, not to expect anyone to meet our needs. And that's also a nonviolent communication or compassionate communication, uh, like, ideal, is mm-hmm. how we know one needs to meet our needs. We are the only person responsible for meeting our needs and no one needs to meet them for us. So if we have Mm -hmm. any expectation of that and that in itself is actually catering to rape culture. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how it connects to rape culture? Yeah, so because if you have an expectation of someone without an agreement then that is so what I okay how I define rape culture is any form of relating that leads to rape and this can be really mm-hmm. challenging for people to hear I feel like rape and consent are like really triggering words for a lot of people mm-hmm. and I think it's right. really important to actually talk about both and talk about rape because rape is still a reality for many people mm-hmm. and rape culture mm-hmm. is just any action that can lead to the potential of rape and so what that looks mm-hmm. like is any kind of sexual harassment, any name-calling in general, I would even say, bullying, uh, victim-blaming. Um, what was I just speaking in the context of? So, oh, yeah, just assuming someone needs to meet your needs without mm-hmm. asking them to do that or without mm-hmm. there being a full hell yes agreement with that other person like these expectations for example just to like take a step back like maybe between men and women any expectation that women is supposed to fill a man's need for sex I would say is catering more to rape culture does that make sense yeah absolutely and this is such a a, a it seems like a simple topic consent but it's it's a very revolutionary a big revolution is happening right now i think because i just read recently that it wasn't till the 70s up until the 70s you a man could rape his wife it was legal for a man to rape his wife until the uh, 70s yeah <laughs> and and so i read a research uh, an indian woman did some research recently with a thousand indian men and she asked some questions about consent. And the biggest thing she learned from it was that most of them didn't even understand the concept of consent. Now, I'm not blaming men from India because um, I'm sure there's a lot of cultures where that would be true. Um, I'm not blaming the Indian culture. Um, but I'm just saying that it's so prevalent all over the world for male privilege um, for men to just assume that they have the right to um, do whatever they want with a woman's body without any repercussions. So it's uh, my point is it's just a huge global issue is that patriarchal rape culture, and we're really like pushing a boulder up a hill right now. So I just want to mm-hmm. thank you for the work that you're doing and and really yeah. honor the revolutionary shift that we're going through here. 
Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. Yeah. Do you mind if I speak to what so, you? Please do. Yes. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. I, I like you said. I really. It's. It really has to do with the culture. And so, what my goal is is to create a cultural shift by showing people. And I think, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like it's it's so historical if you think to even, like, colonialism. It's like I think sex can be a form of power, like the actual act of sex can be mm-hmm. a form of power over. So it's like mm-hmm. if you think about it like that and you – there's so many realms to go into when thinking about, like, why don't men, like, understand consent and why has culture promoted this for so long – if you think about the way that our world looks right now, it's all about power over. So, and this movement now for the past few years has been, has been a movement into the feminine. And what I see to be that as, and again, I want to, I want to acknowledge that feminine and feminism isn't just for women. I just want to like clarify that really quick. It's for all people. Mm -hmm. So it's how Mm -hmm. we can all work and live together in the best way. And I really see that as a permaculture value. And I really see permaculture value systems as the way that we can actually sustain our life on the earth and also living in unity with the earth. And it's, it's just challenging when it's like countries across the world are still in like the power over dynamics. So it's, I really believe that the consent culture um, movement is kind of more of a grassroots like kitchen table movement and it starts kind of from the people out so yeah mm-hmm. and it sounds like once we get this down it will shift how we relate not only to other humans but to nature to animals to the earth yeah and when you okay. say permaculture you're talking about like sustainable um actions that um allow our planet to continue to support life yes yeah and and again it's just i feel in what you just said it's consent culture supports all of life and i think that's why i'm Mm -hmm. so passionate about it and i because i believe it's a grassroots movement that's why i'm so passionate about getting it down in my more nuclear communities or my primary communities Mm -hmm. so that we can be the example for communities beyond and hopefully our nation and then the world, you know, and I, I feel like I have done enough education and around consent myself. I've, I've, it's just been really a topic that I really care about that. I know Mm -hmm. I have a blueprint to offer. I have a really good blueprint to offer my, anyone, any individual, and also communities. And I'm just kind of waiting for leaders to kind of catch on and realize, like, how amazing this can be to fully embrace. Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel your passion for it. It's really exciting. So what does it look like for communities to value consent yeah. and consent culture? Yeah, well, I believe that, what our communities really need is a is a huge shift. So I'd say having community leaders really value making that shift and doing it really well. And what that looks like is having consent education 
that I believe is paid for and valued in that way for those communities on a consistent basis. Also having trained mediators that can help with communities because I believe that there will always be inevitable conflict. Having education around all the different facets of consent, for example, conflict resolution is one of them. Mediation can be one of them. Bystander intervention, which means how how do you how do you intervene if you're someone who is witnessing an action that someone is taking that is obviously not okay with the other person? Mm-hmm. And also just like emotional responsibility and awareness, education around nonviolent communication and compassionate communication, which is all based around observations, feelings, needs, and requests, and just all of that. And also, I think that communities would really highly benefit with having places to grieve. So grief, like regular grief circles, regular council circles, and regular restorative justice circles. And just valuing Mm -hmm. that and creating a system for that that everyone can participate in and really feel a part of the community and feel a part of in this movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And you talked on your website about calling, <laughs> excuse me, calling in versus calling out. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. yeah. So calling in, so calling out would be basically calling out someone for their action that they're taking and making, I kind of perceive it as making them wrong or ostracizing them. Uh, there are varying definitions for that. And sometimes calling out is necessary. But for me, because I value a love-based culture and I believe that we all are crossing each other's boundaries on a consistent basis, I would much rather call someone in to their higher self, which is more about what calling in is about, and call them into the way that they can be and offer them education or teaching around how they can respect themselves and other people more. I can speak more to that if that's not as clear. Yeah, so you're calling them into the community, um, into like a restorative justice circle or a grief circle yeah. or some, some way that they're yeah. bringing their pain in instead of just, you know, calling them out on their behavior and just leaving them. That's the old way of, of justice where you just throw them in jail or you um, ostracize yeah. them or I whatever. Mean, yeah. Right, because I believe that the reason why people hurt people is because they're hurting. So if mm-hmm. we just continue to hurt hurt people, what does that leave us with? Like that mm-hmm. person could decide to do something even more drastic. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's also kind of a safety thing is like why not actually give space to that person to share more about what's going on for them and also have the opportunity to take responsibility for how their actions have affected others and take the steps for repair. That can feel really good for those people. That, and I do believe that, that there needs to be consequences for actions that are repeated over time, which is something that I will share that I've been working on with ecstatic dance to create systems that actually have have consequences for repeated harmful actions. But mm-hmm. I don't believe ostracizing someone forever. I believe in a break where they have the ability to come back in to the community based on what 
anyone else, or it would actually be nice to have a community agreed upon system on how that can work. And what I see that to be is education around consent and what that looks like and maybe even some coaching sessions around that or and maybe even like a letter of apology and and forgiveness and then action that they're willing to take. Just having more emotional and responsibility is what I see it as. And also being transparent and honest about what's going on and, and calling that in, calling forward that transparency and honesty through all these systems in a way that can be supportive of all people and not demonize them, but also hold them accountable to their actions. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Serena Giordano. I'm sorry, Giordano. <laughs> Giordano. <laughs> Sardano, thank you. Um, we're speaking with Serena about consent and consent culture in communities. And I love what you were just talking about. Can you give us maybe an example of somebody that you've worked with or witnessed who actually went through being called in instead of being called out, who maybe went through a restorative mm-hmm. justice circle or in some way mm-hmm. this system actually helped to um, heal the, the scenario? Thank you. You know, I I feel like I'm still working on creating those opportunities. So that's mm-hmm. that's still something that's in the works. However, I mm-hmm. can, and that's why I'm like I'm a, I'm I'll share like I'm honestly like slightly impatient, and I'm kind of just mm-hmm. waiting for like our larger communities to begin to to value these systems. Um, mm-hmm. What, where I have seen it work is that a lot of the public schools in Oakland East Bay have adopted these in their schools. And Ooh. if you look online, um, there's numerous videos online about how effective the restorative justice circles are in schools for when anyone acts out in their school. Because it's really a community-based, it's really a loving a loving way to call someone in. But I can say that I did participate as a as a someone who is being called in. Actually, you might have been there. Um, I personally participated in one where someone was having an issue with me and we hosted a restorative justice circle. And it was messy. But also, it was awesome that it happened. And I think uh-huh. that I would love to see more of these happening so that we can start having them in a way that is very effective. But I will say, in general, the concept of calling in versus calling out, generally I do that with people in my life. And the more I can call people in, the more I get what I want. And I can give an example mm-hmm. of that if you want. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, so recently I'll just share, I'm not going to share the name, but in light of the Me Too movement, also I um, the first ayahuasca ceremony I went to, I was sexually assaulted by somebody who I had met there. And what that looks like is that they ended up fingering me when I didn't want them to and 
Mm. It was like a very confusing situation and it led me to feel really disappointed. So years have gone by with this person and I've had a, a serious process around this person because what I found is that all I really needed was for him to hear my story and how he impacted me. And it was frustrating because I saw him at dance and I, I, went, I had mixed feelings. And it was hard because when we first met, we, we got along really quickly, really fast. So I saw him as a friend and then he did an action that made me feel really sad. I was really sad and frustrated and angry and confused. And I want to share that it also kind of put me in this role. It was a very weird phenomenon, but I noticed myself get put in the role of once he did that to me because I was so afraid of, I didn't want to lose connection with him. I was so, we had just gone through this whole experience together. I saw him as like my super ally through the experience when he did that to me, but I was like so afraid of losing connection. And I noticed myself really desiring to stay connected. And I noticed myself step into this role of, of being his sexual pleasure person. And it was really confusing to me too. And I was going through sexual healing at the time. And, um, like I was going through that in the, in the, in the space and um so it was a very confusing dynamic and I kept trying to like connect with him and it kept going awry because he kept doing things without asking that were obviously uh, not this is while you were doing the while you were in the middle of the medicine journey no this is this is right after oh yeah. okay so but I was very raw and like I'll right. say like incapable of consenting because I, I had just mm-hmm. gone through a really long experience. Um, and I've, it's been like three years of a process and I finally had the courage to share with him. And I was like, Hey, I really just want to talk to you and tell you my story. Would you be available for that? And I preferred to have a third person there because I feel like he, He's, an, he's, like, around my age, and he's also a very big white man. So uh, that's a lot of privilege there that mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable with. So I asked mm-hmm. to have a third party present just so we could keep each other in check. And then he had this whole process around that, around not wanting a third party present. But finally, he was able to listen to me. I finally, we happened, he actually it was kind of a, a interesting process where he ended up getting afraid and blocking me. And then I ended up seeing him at a festival and went up to him and I was like, hey, are you ready to talk now? And he agreed to finally talk to me. And basically what I did is I shared my story with him. And I was like, hey, this is what you did to me. And this is how it felt for me. And this is how you've impacted me in my life. And I said, I feel slightly uncomfortable with you being in spaces and I need a commitment from you that you are working on yourself and you know what consent is so that I can feel good about you being in my community. And I also said to him, I led the conversation and I do believe it had an impact on him 
but I also shared with him, I was like, I am, my prayer for you is that you can now be the consent ambassador for women. And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm calling you into because I know that you're capable of it if you choose it. And I basically set a boundary with him. I was like, listen, I will support you and feel good about you being in communities so long as you can fulfill this role. And if I hear anything else from anyone in the community, I I need to take some action to have you not be here for now until you're ready mm-hmm. to step into that role. So I haven't heard from him since. I haven't also heard anything about him since. So that's just an example of what that can look like. And I did that well, alone. Well, thank you for my... sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I was, in a lo- I was alone at the time, which wasn't my preference in the beginning, but it was worth it to me that I finally got to share my story and be acknowledged and, and have him apologize to me. And. Mm-hmm you get to call him into that role so Mm -hmm. yeah good for you that that took a lot of courage and thank you for your vulnerability on on this show too to tell us about that yeah Uh, it's it's always really hard and especially since you wanted to stay in connection too that makes it extra hard Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and I really do believe that's a phenomenon why I would say like a lot of women or even people who are who are sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, like why it's so hard to just let, I believe that's what consent of love is all about too, is like how to create the most connection possible. And it's, if someone's not in their choice, then that's not a real connection. And I think that's what we all really want is connection. And so it's so hard, especially as a woman, to continually have to deal with these advances that are unwanted and then lose uh-huh. all the connection to all those men. Like that's uh-huh. because they're not they're not honoring that, that women's uh, choice. And I've definitely experienced right. this as a woman. Like I continue to be disappointed even with, like, I would even say the majority of my male friends. I feel like I'm constantly navigating. I'm just like, it shouldn't be this hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't. So have what to are some what, what are some yeah. what are some things that we we can do in our daily lives to support consent culture? Do you have some practical suggestions that, that everyone can do? Yeah, just continuing to ask yourself throughout your day, "Am I really doing what I want to be doing right now?" Mm-hmm. And then, if not, then how do you need to address the situation or make a request so that it's more in alignment with your own consent? A second mm-hmm. question to continuously ask throughout the day is, am I making sure that the people around me feel really good about the way that they're interacting with me? And mm-hmm. if not, what do I need to adjust in order to make sure that that is the case? Mm-hmm. And what that can look like is asking and literally asking for every interaction. Hey, I'd really love to talk with you about my work day today. How does that feel for you? Also, even time-bounding interactions, like especially if it's a heavy interaction, hey, I'd really love to process what happened yesterday for 10 minutes. Are you available for that? Mm-hmm. So asking questions and also practicing, 
practicing forgiveness. So forgiving yourself, I'd say, is the primary one for when you didn't listen to yourself and even for when you didn't listen to other people. And not making that okay, like not through the forgiveness making that okay, but also allowing yourself to forgive yourself so that you can move forward and not spiral into the shame-blame cycle of your own of your own doing because that also doesn't do anyone any good if you're just shaming and blaming yourself. And I'd say even trying to step away from any kind of shame-blame thoughts or words and trying to focus most on what you need and how to ask for it from other people. Right. And focusing more on observations rather than judgment. So just like walking mm-hmm. your day-to-day life, Oh, the last one is how, the last question to keep in mind is how does my privilege affect the dynamic right now? And how can I make sure that I'm taking responsibility for my privilege in a way that helps equalize the playing field for all? And that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that privilege is personal. It's not a personal thing. It doesn't, unfortunately, privilege is just determined by birth. It's not something that we, like, it's not, it's not related to our identity. It's not our, how we chose to, to, like, come into ourselves. But it is a reality, and it's important, I believe, for us to take responsibility for how it works in dynamics and learn how to be allies to other people because of what our privilege is. So I'd say that's the last question to keep in mind is, what is my privilege and how does it work in dynamics and how am I making sure I'm using my privilege to be an ally to all people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are, these are all really big, <laughs> big topics. Um, I just want to comment yeah. on a couple things you said. Um, first of all, I just want to appreciate you for role modeling what you're talking about um, as far as asking first, because sometimes I, I speak and I don't always ask you a question. I just make a comment and when I do that, you've been asking me, would you like me to reflect on that? Um, mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I, I didn't ask you a clear question. So that was great. And I've learned to do that more in my life too. Like if I have um, an assistant or somebody that shows up in my life as a subordinate in some way, um, I used mm-hmm. to just unload on them. Like I don't think it was ever in their job description that they're my therapist, but I would just unload on them about something I need to vent about. And now I'm more conscious of asking them first, like, is this a good time? Can I share something with you that's kind of making me frustrated? You know, just give them a chance to say no if they're not in a good space for that. So um, Mm -hmm. so thank you for for that piece. Um, And then also the second thing you talked about, um, you talked about shame. And Mm -hmm. shame is such a huge part of the victim's experience, um, not Mm -hmm. just in childhood, not just childhood sexual abuse situations, but also if you look at the Harvey Weinstein victims where they were women in their early 20s and they had so much shame, they couldn't even, and not just Harvey Weinstein, but all of the famous abusers and, you know, people like um, Trump and all these guys, um, Bill Cosby is another example where once one or two women 
speak out about it, then there's an onslaught. And now you've got like 50, 60 women talking about Weinstein. Um, so there's something about that shame that makes it so hard for women to talk about it. Um, can you speak a little bit more about why that's such a common experience of the victims of, of lack of consent? Yeah. I think that really has to do with the self-forgiveness piece. You know, I think as women, especially if we identify as an empowered woman in any way and we allow someone to cross our boundaries still, like, then that begs the question of, like, well, am I a strong woman? Like, can I hold my boundaries? And I'd say that this is, like, such a deep conditioning that is present, especially for men to take from women without asking or people to take from people without asking in all different forms. And it's inevitable Mm -hmm. that it's still going to happen. So I think the more we can embrace that reality that it's going to happen and the other reality that no matter most women, no matter how they identify, are going to receive a lot of unwanted potentially sexual attention and potentially rape that it's like, how do we, how do we frame that in a way where we can own that and, and not lose our power in owning it? And I'd say, actually, mm-hmm. what needs to happen is that when people do come out, there needs to be so much support for that person and how brave they are because of mm-hmm. that shame. And especially Mm -hmm. from men and especially from male partners, because Mm -hmm. if men don't support women in this and they question at all women's stories, that is, again, the pattern of kind of silencing women in their truth. And I think this also has to do with the historical silencing of women. And I'll even bring in, like, I feel called to bring in in this moment, like the burning of witches, the burning of witches, mm-hmm. which if, if you look back into the history of witches and where that came from, it was really just women who were really deeply in tune with the earth, who understood how to work with, with, the, with all the different, I'd say, presence like earth provides in a way that can really help people. So, mm-hmm. It's like if you think about women's history and even women who are potentially more in tune with the earth, like women were literally burned for speaking their truth. So I just Mm -hmm. want to honor that that can be in many of women's bloodlines and lineages. And I think Mm -hmm. that that all is still present in our day-to-day and also just the shaming of sex in general or, again, the Mm victim-blaming concept of, of, oh, well, it's your fault he raped you. Like, does that mm-hmm. make any sense when I say that out loud? Right. I don't think it does. And it's just like one of the posts I made on my Instagram recent, a while ago actually was that no one ever asked he raped. But I could see how, like, the shame for women could be like, oh, if there's, if there's any thought that, like, we could be strong or, like, and even not that concept. I think it's just... Like the the idea that we could allow someone to to enter us or to do anything to us without our our full consent and choice, I think is prospect to feeling bad about. 
And I think it's only enhanced by the victim-blaming culture of our nation, which um, I yeah, see, I'm, like, I'm, gladly I'm, is changing. Yeah, it does feel like there's a transition happening with all this. Um, but I'm glad that you went back to the witches because I was also thinking about the underlying patriarchal culture of um, a male head of every household so that every man yeah. can be a king of his little domain. And that whole mm-hmm. model um, really sets up that privilege that you were talking about and then makes people who have privilege feel afraid of losing that privilege. So yeah. then when I read That's a book, real. like uh, read a, yeah, one of my favorite sex books is called Sex at Dawn, for those that haven't read it, and they talk about how, what sex was like for hundreds of thousands of years when people were hunter-gatherers during the Paleolithic times, and how sex wasn't really that big of a deal. It, it didn't have the repression, so therefore it didn't have the extreme addictive acting out or kinkiness. It was just a body function like anything else, and there was a way that it was shared among the tribe so that um, there wasn't a feeling of shortage. And I think it's this mm-hmm. false sense of shortage that we've created for men particularly mm-hmm. where um, they're always needing it and always feeling like there's not enough. And uh, can mm-hmm. you speak a little bit about that false sense of shortage that we've created? Yeah. I mean, I think also like what you're speaking to is, is again, the power over dynamic of like using sex as a form of control. And I think mm-hmm. also what you're saying, like for men with women, it's like, oh, I have to control my woman or else she's going to leave me or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm hearing what you say in relation to sex at dawn, that sex, I really do believe there's a strong relationship between the way we perceive sex right now and our patriarchy and control. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting because I, I believe that it's not actually serving men due to what you spoke of about sex at dawn that it actually would probably make everyone feel better if there wasn't such a, I do believe that there's like a lack, you know, potentially one is causing the other where because men have now been using it as like a power over a form of control dynamic women potentially aren't responding well to that and then they're having a lack of it in that woman potentially in a monogamous dynamic and then there's like no room for either of them to move sexually Mm -hmm. and so I do believe that if there was less of a focus of sex as control that everyone would just be happier and there probably wouldn't be that need from men because it would be more accepted that you can potentially have more part sexual partners so i do Mm -hmm. like you know we have our poly culture in the bay area and it's it's more accepted here but i know that it's not that accepted across the nation so yeah i well we're getting there that's what i that's what i'm hoping to do is to spread the news that we really can have multiple partners and get our needs met in a variety of ways. (laughs) Um, So before we run out of time, I want to give you a chance because I I like the tangents that we went off of. It was very, went off on. It was very interesting. Um, But I want to bring us back um, with the last little bit of time and just talk some more about um, 
ways that we can continue to spread consent culture. Mm. Yeah. I really believe that the first step is coming to a consent workshop and getting really mm. clear on what consent is and is not and then being mm-hmm. a, by a, a consent ambassador and spreading consent mm-hmm. through that education. I really believe that education mm-hmm. around consent, and I, I will say again that the way that I teach is from a lot of different, like, very thorough pieces. So I teach through, like, the value of MVC and through values of co-counseling, through values that I learned at UC Berkeley and values that I learned from the Jesuit high school I went to around respect. And I just think it's really important for us to get really clear on that and practice that. And then Mm -hmm. spread it from that place of knowing and knowledge and continuing to hold each other accountable in love and continuing to ask for everything, I would argue, as much as possible, because that honestly has a really big impact on people, as it even did for you here, and you acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really think the more you can ask, checking in with yourself and making sure that the other people around you are really wanting to do what you're all engaging in, and if not, readjusting and making requests so that, you can, you or them or everyone can get more of what they need. And really mm-hmm. honoring, honoring people's boundaries, honoring your own boundaries and other people's boundaries and not taking them personally and being really excited for people setting boundaries that they're, they're saying yes to themselves and setting boundaries. Yeah, that's, that's a good but, thing I learned was to say, thank you for taking care of yourself and meaning it. <laughs> yes. If somebody yeah. says no to and me. And also... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's beautiful about, like, the poly culture is this idea that you don't need to get all your needs met from one person. But actually, that's, mm-hmm. that's essentially a violent act. And so mm-hmm. maybe embracing the idea of, like, how can I get all my different needs met from different people in my life? And how can mm-hmm. I create those structures for myself so that I'm not only relying on just one person, which is a big task, you know, so I'd say even getting consent coaching too, which empowerment coaching, and again, like I think the the process of breaking down even a specific dynamic in your life is, is I would say, almost invaluable because you'll mm-hmm. have so much awareness after breaking down that dynamic in light of consent culture that it will really help you or whoever is receiving that to move forward in a way with more clarity and in alignment with consent culture. I think it's also promoting anyone who's teaching consent, um, continuing to act as allies to people, especially if you're a man to woman, if we're white people to people of color and continuing to include the earth in conversations. It's really about everyone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right, right. And and what's the best way to, um, if you witness, um, if you're a a bystander and you're witnessing a consent violation, um, what's the best way to handle that? Yeah. Well, I'd say there's actually, I'm going to teach a class on that, and there's actually five ways to respond, which I don't think we have time to cover right now. So what I'll say is that, Check in with what your core values are for your life and then act from them. 
So if you mm-hmm. see that someone, for example, like let's say, I mean the real, the reality is you need to you need to get clear with what you're willing to risk, and what the risk is for you to intervene. So I'll share like for example, there was a man at Symbiosis Gathering that was going around the dance floor and just like in women's faces, and they're obviously not a yes, and he kept bothering them. And I kept following him around and being like, this woman doesn't want to dance with you. Can you tell that her body language is saying no? And he kept <laughs> arguing with me. But I kept, I kept saying, like, stop dancing with her. Like, you need to leave her alone. And I checked in with her, too. I was like, do you want this man to be dancing with you? And every time, he'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Good for that's you. The way that's great. Excellent. Yeah, it was really fun. And I was like, yes, I get to live my purpose. But um right, perfect. But that's one um, way. So, so that you know, I we're just, almost out of time. Yeah. Okay. So I just yeah I just want to thank you. This is just such a lively topic. I knew it would be. The hour just flew by, and your treasure yeah. trove of information about it. And I want our listeners to know a little bit more about what you do and how to reach you. Well, and I believe you also are a singer and maybe also a songwriter. So tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes. So I'm a consent educator. I host and lead workshops. I also am a singer-songwriter and sound healer and do regular sound baths, so if that's interesting to anyone, um, and concerts and do sound healing for ecstatic dance. And I also am an empowerment, I'd say voice coach. So I can work with either communication-based coaching or singing coaching or both. So mm-hmm. all with with the purpose of empowering one's voice to ask more clearly for what they want and how, therefore, to most more likely get what they need. So Beautiful. that's what that looks like. And more specifically, I do consent workshops. I also lead weekly women's empowerment song circles, which is a mix of sharing ancient songs and current songs with, like, voice coaching and guidance for each individual throughout the circle and also in a co-created healing space, intentional space. Um, Beautiful. We have one yeah. minute, so can you tell our listeners Great. how they can reach you? Uh, yeah. So they can reach me online at www.consentaslove.com which is consent A-S-L-O-V-E They can also reach me at consentaslove at gmail.com or my number Six five zero five zero four zero seven zero zero, and I want to offer to anyone who listens to this. I'm going to offer a two for one um, uh, gift. I guess for anyone who wants to come to any of my group offerings, they can bring a friend for free, and also a thirty awesome. minute free consultation for anyone who's interested in in any clarity around consent or coaching through voice empowerment based skills. Perfect. Thank you. That's very generous of you. And I want to thank you again for being on the show, Serena. And keep in touch. Let us know how it goes. And we'll all be out there spreading consent culture. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sumati. Thank you. Uh, Okay. Bye-bye.